the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Chapter 64. Isaiah 64, verse 8. It says, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. And you are the potter, and we are formed by your hand. Can you get that picture? Have you ever seen somebody working at a potter's wheel? Obviously, the thing's going around, and there's a big old lump of clay it starts with. doesn't look like much, but a skilled potter is able to get his hands into that clay and pull and stretch and yank and tear and mold and mush and design something beautiful and that's the picture God chooses to give us of of what he's doing in our lives if we'll stay where on the potter's wheel (laughs) if you jump off in the floor then you're on your own well we've been in a series called the house of God the first week we uh talked about the house of God being a lighthouse the second week, a rescue mission. Did anybody remember last week? House of worship. That's right. That's right. You remember the one thing. Jesus said this one thing is important. And it was Mary sitting at his feet. It was Mary on the potter's wheel. And this week, today's message is part four. And we're going to call it a fixer-upper. <laughs> you know what I mean by a fixer-upper, don't you? Before I bought my last house, I looked at a fixer-upper or two because, I, you know, I'm a cheapskate. And I was looking for the most bang for the buck, most square footage for the dollar, you know. And I'm looking on those websites and stuff and trying to figure out where. And I called this real estate agent, and I dragged Angie to this place over in Marshall County. Man, it looked like quite a deal in the picture. <laughs> but when we got there, can you say fixer-upper? In fact, the grass was, I would say, four, four foot tall in the front yard. And I had to make my way through to the front yard, and Angie was holding my shirt tail. And this poor real estate agent lady, I don't think she'd ever been to this house, and she was just following along behind. And we got into the, the doorway there, and uh, Angie had this plastic smile on her face. I knew it was there because she was trying to be nice to the real estate agent. And she looked around, and she says, well, it's big. <laughs> and the real estate agent, I could tell she wasn't, you know, all thrilled about this eyesore either. But she was trying to spin it, so she took us out to the back deck, and she was trying to show us the backyard, and it had some acreage with it. And she was trying to spin this dilapidated old pier off in a dried-up lake with a bunch of used car tires thrown in into it as a, as a view, <laughs> you know. And, and she, we walked out on the back deck, and she was 
could tell the wood was old and crickety and and she was she said be careful I make sure that this is stout and she she stomped on it and when she did she stirred up a hornet's nest underneath there and they came out and we all took off running back in the house and the poor real estate agent lady was wearing these high heels and she caught it on the ripped up linoleum just in the front door and went and just sprawled face first plant most unladylike I might add and just fell on the floor, and before I could get down there to help her, she had done gathered up her books and was standing up, and she said, um, and she had this crazed look in her eye, and she said, I'm going to let you two look around. I'll be waiting in the car. <laughs> and she went and, she went and got in the car. So me and Angie was looking around at this place, and, and, and I could tell, you know, that, that smile had left Angie's face, and now it was like, and so... She went to look in the next room, and I, I could almost feel that she was expecting to see a family of bears hibernating in there, you know, or something. But she looked in the next room, and then she loosened up a little bit, and she said, this is a nice living room. I do like that crown molding, and that fireplace is nice. And it was, was weird, because for every negative about the house, there was something that had potential. And you may have seen houses like that. I said, Angie, it's a fixer-upper. Look at your neighbor say, it's a fixer-upper. <laughs> For every negative thing, there was a hint of redemption. And uh, upstairs was my favorite part. It was an expandable room. wasn't finished out yet, but it was big enough you could have landed a crop duster in there. I mean, it was huge. You could have put an indoor football field up there. And uh, so we looked around, and we, we were just kind of torn. What kind of house is this? You, you want to do something with it? We trailed back to the streets. You know, Angie followed me back out. Sure enough, the real estate agent was in her car. And uh, she just rolled down the window about an inch. <laughs> she said, how'd y'all like it? <laughs> and Angie looked, and she said, it's big. <laughs> that was about all we could say. But you got to understand, I grew up monetarily challenged. You know what I mean? There wasn't a lot of extra spending money in my house. And so I just naturally learned if I was going to have anything nice in life, I, if I was going to have a diamond, I was going to have to polish on it. If I was going to have anything nice, I was going to have to do some work. To, to, you know, I was going to have to find that fixer-upper and fix it up myself because I wasn't able to buy the best. I was always pestering the pawn shops. Some of you guys know what I mean? I was grazing the garage sales. <laughs> And uh, fleecing the flea markets. I was always trying to find the deal. And, I, and, to, and Angie didn't understand, but I was like Angie. You know, all I got to do is learn just a, a few carpeting skills and, and uh, learn how to swing a hammer and, and paint and do a little drywall. If we fix the plumbing and then, you know, maybe get somebody out here to help with the electrical, we get the roof on this thing, and in six months, we could move in. <laughs> Angie's like, no. <laughs> but I persisted to call that real estate agent about that. I was still wanting to look at it again. And you know that lady would never call me back? That was so rude. <laughs> true story. Well, mostly true. But the truth is that we're all fixer-uppers. If you look around, look at your neighbor and say, you old fixer-upper, you. We're all fixer-uppers. Some of us, you know, got more square footage for the dollar. I mean, 
<laughs> Did I say that out loud? <laughs> We're all a work in progress. Some of us physically, mentally, and emotionally, and spiritually. We all, you know, sometimes people come to church, and, and if they don't go to church, you know, they've not been around, and they got this preconceived notion about what church is, especially new Christians and stuff. They think that the pastors or some of the church folks that's been there a while, they think that they got it all together. <laughs> no, no. Let me tell you right now, everybody is a fixer-upper. Everybody. You can, I went play golf with Tom Friday afternoon. Tom can tell you, your pastor's a fixer-upper. <laughs> I was playing bad, man. I had a sour attitude. I was whining and, and crying about my game. He's over there shooting wonderful, of course, making me look bad. But I wasn't happy for him. No, I was just pouting about my game. And that's your pastor. We're all fixer-uppers. How many seen the show Fixer-Upper? Where they take houses and they fix them up. What's their name? Uh, Chip and Joanna Gaines. Chip and Joanna Gaines. And they got this show. And they go fix houses. And apparently they're Christians. At least I heard they're Christians. And I believe because the principle... Is a, is a Christian sees potential in something others may overlook, and they find joy in restoring it. You know why that's a Christian principle? Because that's a Jesus principle. And because we're like our Father. We, we have His nature now. We have His Spirit. And we see things that need fixing up, and we are drawn to help. And if you don't have that Spirit, then you, are, you need to be saved. Did I say that out loud? But what, is, what does Chip and Joanna do before they begin re renovations? First thing they do is a walkthrough. And then they, they try to identify any foundational issues. Because that's where you got to start. You don't just start working on the, on the paint. You got to identify if there's, what's the big things that's got to be fixed first. And what's the number one foundational issue in people? In the world, I mean, just in is in people in general. What's the number one foundational issue that needs to be fixed? Well, Romans three twenty three says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We need to be made right with God. We need to get a foundation under us. Jesus told a story about two houses being built. One old fellow went out to the beach and started throwing up a house. Had two by four. Said, "Let's get her done." I want me a beach house. I'm ready to party up. And he started his life off in a hurry. Thought he, he didn't need no blueprints. Didn't need nobody to show him how to swing a hammer. He can figure it out as he goes. And so he throws him a house up. But Jesus said there's another guy. He did it a little different. He put down a foundation. Said he dug deep. Got past the sand. Got down on the solid rock. And he built his house. And it says the wind and the waves comes against everybody's house. But the one that was just thrown up, it's going to eventually fall. It's going to eventually crash. But the one who's built on the solid rock, the foundation of Jesus Christ, is going to last. So when, you, when you're thinking about fixer-uppers, we don't just 
We don't go to South Park just hoping that, that we make their life better on the way to hell. We go to South Park hoping that we can fix some foundational issues. We can get down, dig deep and say, hey, you need Jesus because really we're here to help Jesus, but without Jesus, we can't help you. Does that make sense? Jesus also met with that rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler came up to him and said, Jesus, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. In other words, if you're going to try it on your own, good luck. But this guy said, well, I've done all that since my youth. I did all that. <laughs> Imagine the audacity of somebody come up saying he kept all the commandments. But anyway, he told Jesus, I kept all that. And Jesus said, okay, well, then go and sell all you have and give it to the poor. And then come follow me. That's the real way. And this guy, he couldn't do that. Why? Because he loved money more than he loved God. And what was Jesus doing? He cut through and got right down to the heart of the matter. He did a walkthrough and recognized what this guy's foundational issue was. Because Jesus is concerned about the heart. Have you noticed that Jesus always works on the inside first? When most of us get saved, what's the first thing we want to do? We want to become this cookie-cutter Christian and look like everybody else. So we begin to work on the exterior stuff. But Jesus said this one thing is important. Jesus does the work. Who's the potter? He's the one who gets his hand in your life. We go out and try to fix our own self up. Let me put a little handle on myself here. But that's not the way it works. Jesus gets his hand in your life. Our job is to let him work on the inside. Then it'll naturally mature into our physical, emotional, and uh, mental life later. 1 Timothy 4.8 tells us physical training is good. Exercise, pumping weights, running. Jogging, eating healthy, all that stuff, keeping your body. It's a temple of the Lord. That's good. But training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. You see, this physical body is going to one day wear out. I don't care how much weight you lift, how well you treat it. But your spiritual life, who you are on the inside, well, going to the next one I pulled out. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, Even though our outward man is perishing, anybody, don't, don't raise your hand on that one. <laughs> but you know we all are getting older, and things change. Our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. That is, if you're staying on the potter's wheel. You're getting better and better and better, line upon line, precept upon precept, from going from glory to glory. As you follow the Lord, you mold it into his image. God is doing something on you. Stay on the wheel. And this matters because this spiritual person you're working on will be here forever. Long past when your name is written on some tombstone somewhere. It's forever. Feeding your spirit is the key to really flipping your house. Feeding your spirit, man. You got to understand, you are a spirit. You live in a physical body, 
You have a soul, your mind, will, and your emotions, but you are a spirit, and that is the part of you is eternal. And so you feed your spirit, man, that's going to be eternal. You're growing something that's going to last. Take care of your body, please, for all of our sakes. But no, <laughs> but feed your spirit. That's how you flip your house. If you feed your spiritual man, your outer man will naturally follow suit. Many know when I became pastor here four years ago, man, the thing burning on my heart was we got to get out of this building. We've been here too long. You can't even find us on a GPS, you know. <laughs> That's our problem. We got to find a new building. We got to be more visible and all that. And my first thing I did was jumped up and found a building somewhere on the corner. And I said, let's buy it. And we, we even put a contract on it. We worked hard trying to get in that building. But you know what? It fell through. And I believe and I thank God that it did. You know why? Because we were trying to fix the outside stuff first. And we would have spent four years over there. We'd have been painting, remodeling, putting this in, fixing the roof, putting sprinklers in. We'd have been consumed with the outward appearance of our new building for four years when while we've been here, God has been working on the inside of us, telling us who we are, preparing us for when we really, when, when the, the building will come naturally. So God knew what he was doing. Thank God he does. Somebody's in charge around here. God wanted to shore up our spiritual foundation first. I believe the building and all that, the growth, and it, it, we see it happening. But it is a result of us understanding who we are. Nobody even wants to come to a church if people don't understand who they are. They don't come to a church because of a building. You're here because God is here. There's an official name, it's Christianese. Most people that don't go to church don't understand it, or they have a misunderstanding. But there's an official name for staying on the potter's wheel, and we call it sanctification. It means being sanctified. I'm chicken fried and sanctified. <laughs> and so... We, we, uh, we've heard that term sanctified, you know, and we think that means you're better than everybody else. No, that's not what it means. That means you are in a process of staying on the wheel and letting God work things out in your life. And sanctification is a lifelong journey. Turn to Philippians 1.6. Huh? Philippians 1.6 says, I am certain that God, say God, who began the good work in you will continue His work. Say His work. Until it is finally finished on the day Jesus Christ returned. Who does the work? Whose job is it? What is our job? Stay on the wheel. She's got it. She's always the first one to answer. It's because she's been on that wheel. Stay on the wheel. That's our job. How do we stay on the wheel? <clears throat> Things you learned in, in Sunday school back when you was a little kid. Nothing's changed. You've been around the whole world three times. 
You didn't look for love in all the wrong places, and you finally come back 35, 40, 50, 60 years later to learn that what they told you in Sunday school was true all along. Read your Bible. Pray. Go to church. <laughs> Can you believe it's just come back down to that? And let me throw one, a new one on you. Practice what you learn. Don't just be hearers, because we got an American church full of listeners. They're all puffed up with knowledge. Everybody wants to argue about everything to do with the scriptures. And they all want to go to the next conference and do this and that, so they have more knowledge, but very few people are taking what they learn and put it in an action. Has anybody in this whole church ever took their bulletin and seen what the pastor's challenge is and did it that week. After four years of making those bulletins, has anybody ever looked at the pastor's challenge and did it? I see a few heads shaking, but they're afraid to admit it because they're overwhelmed by the opposition here. <laughs> Church is for your growth, not for just knowledge. You got to do what the word says. Not hearers only, but doers of the word. And remember this one thing that Jesus talked about. That's how you stay on the potter's wheel. You worship him. You love him. Your love for him will change you. In 1 John 3 2, it says, Dear friends, we're already God's children. That means if you've been saved. But he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him. For we will see him as he really is. And all who have this eager expectation, they keep themselves pure. Just as he is pure. See, we're working towards something. We don't come to church and say, well, I'm saved and now it's just my job to know everything. No. He says, be ye holy as I am holy. And holy doesn't come by just a, a wish. It's a lifestyle. It, it's learning to walk in the image of Jesus Christ. Godly life takes constant maintenance and continual improvement. Have, how many found something that's just so easy in this life? It's like they, they sell it on TV, you know, you can buy this little $9 gadget, you know, and it'll vacuum up everything in your carpet. You know, they promise everything on TV, but have you found anything in life that's just so easy? Most of the time, because we live in a fallen world, the curse of man is that he was going to have to work by the sweat of his brow. And so, we're no longer under the curse, but we still have to work out our salvation. We work out what God has put on the inside. See, he started on the inside. It's in there, but you got to work it out. Just like you go to the gym and work it out. But you got to work out the spiritual life that God has put on the inside of you, and that takes constant maintenance. What happens if you lift weights for six months and you start to see some improvement, but then you don't lift weights for another three years?
You know what happens. The wind and the rain are always beating on our house. Even the most mature Christians can't let things slip. <clears throat> what are some things that we can do then, Pastor? How, what do you mean maintenance? Well, what did Mama used to tell me? Boy, take them shoes off before you come in the house with them muddy feet. When you think of your life as a spiritual house, what are you letting through your doors? What nasty, muddy things are you letting into your eye gates, into your doors, in your ears? You need to say, as for me and my house, we will follow the Lord. You need to make that declaration to keep your house clean. Because a dirty house is soon going to be a dilapidated house, right? You know how that works. <laughs> you got a house, don't you? Another thing, I'm just throwing out a few. Boy, we only got like 40 minutes, so I mean, I, it ain't, we ain't going to cover everything, but I just a few that, that I feel like the Lord gave me this week. Take your trash to the curb. There ain't going to be no hoarders in heaven. <laughs> Ain't going to be no emotional bag ladies on the streets of gold. Take your trash to the curb and drop it off. Clean out the, the clutter in your life. The busyness. The things that ain't, all the little knickknacks. The eight sets of dishes that you got and you're still using paper plates. <laughs> <laughs> we're supposed to be free and we have encumbered ourselves with much, much to do about nothing all these things that are pulling at us are all these responsibilities that really ain't our responsibility we just we become emotional bag people you know what I'm, you seen the old lady pushing the shopping cart with all her possessions in it? And she won't let go of it. She'll fight you for that wet rag, you know? And that's the way we are. We gotta take our trash to the curb. And we gotta keep up with our needed repairs. What happens if you if you your gutters are falling down and you don't pay attention to it, or your house needs painting and you don't paint it? Pretty soon water ingress, things happen. They begin to compound if you don't keep up with needed repairs. What about your relationships? Are there any repairs needed in your relationships? Because if you don't deal with the issues in your life, they're going to get worse. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind to each other. God says, be tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Romans 12, 18 says, do, that, do all that you can to live in peace with one another. And of course, you're going to run into some knuckleheads that don't want peace with you. They don't want nothing to do with you. They're going to be mean to you no matter what you do. But it didn't say that you have a responsibility for them. You have a responsibility for you to do all you can to live in peace with them. If that means don't, don't go near their house, <laughs> don't go near their house. Use common sense, you know. 
But don't, don't get into it just for the sake of getting into it. Keep up with needed repairs. What about when you got clogged drains? I was just trying to think of some things that happen around the house, you know, you got, got to keep up with. You get clogged drains. What do I mean clogged drains? Some of you just need to cry. Some of you have played the tough guy or the got-it-all-together girl for so long. You ever, you ever been with somebody and everything is going good and they seem all happy and everything and you say the least little thing that offends them and they blow up and cuss you out and walk off and you're like, what, ha what just happened? They were holding things on the inside that had nothing to do with you and you just happened to be the one there that triggered it. And a lot of people live their lives like that. I've got it all together. Not dealing with my emotional issues. I've got it all together. I'm a big man. But then the right thing sets them off and they do something they regret for the rest of their lives. There are people in prison for 40 years right now serving life sentences and stuff because they didn't have... Uh, a way to release the steam in their life. And once again, it goes back to sitting at Jesus' feet. That's where you find, there's fullness of joy in the presence of God. That's why a church is so important. You, you get around positive people. You've got to have ways to release emotional things in your life that, that, that will build up and cause you to explode. You know, people commit suicide, and you look at their life and say, well, he had a, a nice family, he had this going on, his job wasn't that bad, but just a, a series of things he held on to, all of a sudden, the devil caught him at the wrong moment, and he felt like it was over. Some of us don't know how to deal with human emotions. Human emotions are real. What do you think happened in the Psalms? David said, one minute he's saying, Lord, you've left me and I'm down here all by myself. My enemies are, are gloating over me and they're about to kill me. Woe is me. Whoa, whoa, whoa. But by the end of the psalm, he's saying, but you come to my rescue, Jesus. Here you come riding on the horse again. You always are my strong tower, my refuge, my strength, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. I mean, he, he just gets all excited at the end. But God didn't... Leave the, the sad parts out of the Psalms. He wanted you to see a man who was in touch with his emotions. Who was able to, when, when he's down, express it. Get with somebody. You know, that's why it says mourn with those who mourn. Rejoice with those who rejoice. So we can help each other. What was that movie with Scooby-Doo and that guy was trapped in the little thing and the stew in the bowl and he was saying talk me down man talk me down nobody saw that movie but i did i'm a scooby-doo advocate no but sometimes you need to be talked down and so be real with jesus some of us are clogged up with jesus we only tell him flowery things and we act like we're playing church people to Jesus like he doesn't already know what's going on on the inside. He is your number one source to relieve your stress and, and steam. So, express your emotions in a healthy manner. Fix the leaks when your old man leaks out. 
you know, he's supposed to be in the grave. You know, you buried him with baptism, but sometimes that old man leaks out. So where did that come from? <laughs> Cuss word jumps out. Woo. I ain't said one of them in almost 20 minutes. Wow. But be quick to repent and clean up the mess that you've made with your old man. If you have a leak in your house, you can't just let it sit there. Okay, so you yelled at your kids and you said some terrible things and awful things. Okay, well, I'm, I said it. There's nothing I can do now. No, you can go back and apologize to your children. I shouldn't have said that. I was just, there's no excuse. I shouldn't have said that. Get the towel and clean that leak up when your old man comes out. And do your yard work. I know it may seem, well, we're, we're not trying to be nothing. We're not trying to look better than anything. We're not trying to have the yard of the month. No, we, curb appeal is important in your spiritual house. Because if you're named the, by the name of Jesus, people look at your life and you're living in a glass house and they need to see the kind of life that a Christian should live. I'm not saying try to be uppity and better. I'm saying be more humble and more loving. Amen. So fix your yard up. And, and can be concerned about your Christian witness because that's your job as an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Is any of this good to you? The reason we became fixer-uppers in the first place is because we slacked on our maintenance or we didn't even know we, we had no care for the house. When we were young, we just thought it was going to last forever. It was mom and daddy's house. <laughs> you, ever, you ever see how kids, they mow the yard? Kids mow the yard, and it's like, that's the best you can do? Wait till they get their own house. Well, they'll be out there with a weed eater and, and bush trimmer and, and scissors if they have to, because it's theirs. Take ownership of your house and make it look beautiful for Jesus. Not in an uppity, I'm a better person than you because I'm a Christian, but like I said, in humility and in love and in all the things in 1 Corinthians, in long-suffering, patience and kindness and gentleness. And all these things. And make your house look good for Jesus. See, every day God gives us the blueprints. And he points out projects that we're supposed to do. And it's our job to keep our handy hammer ready and our sword is swinging. Because, just because. Sometimes I talk so fast that my brain has to catch up here. And then say, okay, where was we at? Okay, but Jesus wants us to be contractors for him right you don't just you don't just fix your house up in jesus's neighborhood jesus is preparing us a house like lisa said right he's up there preparing us a house and so we're down here helping other people renovate theirs we're trying to get everybody's foundation fixed and then we're trying to show them they matter then we're trying to show them some purpose then we're trying to show them how to to, to live their lives in a way that they can begin to do that for somebody else. We're all contractors for Jesus. We go from being a fixer-upper to someone who has a show called Fixer-Upper. We have a life that's, that's helping people get fixed up. We come and learn so that we may go and teach. It's a process. Say sanctification. And if you, you say, well, I don't, I don't know who to help. Look around. I got a whole church full of projects in progress, you know. We're all fixer-uppers, right? So help one another. You got 
people at your job, you got people in your family. Look around in your community. When you're looking through the eyes of Jesus, you'll always see potential everywhere you look. Jesus doesn't look at one of us and say, man, he's really messed up. Man, she's really too far gone. She's, I don't know what to... Jesus doesn't roll his window down half an inch. What would you think? <laughs> and don't answer your calls when you, when you call. No, he sees potential in everybody. So we have the responsibility to get our house right so we can help somebody else renovate theirs. Matthew 7, 5 is often misquoted. It says, first get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your brother's eye. Most of us say, well, don't tell me what to do. You got a log in your own eye. Right? Wait a minute. That ain't what it says. It says, get rid of that log in your eye so that you can help somebody with the speck in their eye. And that's a good attitude to have. You don't come trying to help people thinking you got it, that you necessarily are better than them. You're just helping people everywhere you go just because you're for the sake of helping. Well, no matter, you're not concerned. It's not your job where they're at. It's just your job to help. That makes sense? Turn to Hebrews 11. We're about to close. This will be my first close. Most of you know this is the faith chapter. It talks about all the great people of faith in the Bible and how they please God because of their faith. In Hebrews eleven thirteen, he sums up some of them. He says, all these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on the earth. What is that saying? That's saying you're not going to get everything on this side. These people, God promised them stuff, and they didn't get the fullness here on this side. But how many know if God promised you something, you're going to get the fullness of it? And they recognized that it ain't about this life. This life is just a sliver of small, a small sliver of time in the scope of eternity. It's a small sliver of time. And so these were big-minded people. These people saw the big picture. And they understood that what they do here in this small sliver of time affects all of their eternity. And so they were willing to sacrifice, to take up their cross daily and follow Jesus and to suffer down here. It says if we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him. They were willing to give up their life in this world that they may gain eternal life. Big-minded people, big picture. They see the whole thing. And so if they're suffering down here and they say, this ain't fair, this ain't... No, they ain't thinking that way. They're thinking, if I suffer with him, I'll also reign with him. Because he who, who uses the talents God has given him will be made ruler over much. He who's faithful with little will be made ruler over much in the end. There's a thousand examples that just keep popping in my mind. But they, they, they agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on the earth. In other words, they were willing to give this life up for eternal life. 
Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back. But these were faithful people. They didn't look back at my old ways of drinking and my old ways of womanizing and my old ways of this and that and my old ways of nagging and my old ways of whatever your ways are. They didn't look back and say, man, I really miss that. No, they said, mm -mm. I'm staying on the wheel. My day's coming. But they were looking for a better place. A heavenly homeland. And that is why God is not ashamed to be called their God. For He has prepared a city for them. See, God is not ashamed of those who will stay on the potter's wheel. And who will give up their life for His sake. And He's preparing a city for them. In 2 Corinthians 5, 1, He says, For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, this is just a tent. This is not a permanent structure. Just a tent. We told Abraham, go to a place that I'll show you and live in tabernacles and tents. Don't set down permanent roots here. When we leave and die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. And what God puts together is going to make whatever a person could put together look pale in comparison. Whatever we could do here on the earth, if we were to gain the whole world and lose our own souls, what good would that do? I saw a rerun of Pretty Woman come on the other day at my house. Just walked by the TV and saw it on. And I know nobody in here saw it less than 30 times. Y'all seen Pretty Woman, right? Julia Roberts and Richard Gere. And, and Julia Roberts, you know, the, the main storyline is that she's a prostitute and she's down on her luck and, and he sees value in her and... He, he uses her at first, but then he falls in love with her, and then he sees redemptive value in her, and then he gets with her and takes her out of that life and saves her or whatever. Okay, well, that's easy to see because most of us men understand that that was Julia Roberts. But <clears throat> But there was a second storyline going there. And I happened to catch it when I walked by. I stopped and watched it for a moment because there's something about that movie. But I stopped and watched it. But do you remember Richard Gere telling her at one point about his relationship with his dad and how he hadn't seen him in years and his dad didn't like how he lived and all this, never cared to, you know, really loved him and all that, and he was hurt. And so Richard Gere had become this famous, rich businessman who would take companies that were in trouble and he would... Uh, do a hostile takeover and take over the company and then he would break it up and sell it into bits and he would profit off of somebody else's hurt and pain in these companies. And that's the way he made his living and he was cold like that. But as he fell in love with Julia Roberts and began to see the redemptive value and how good it felt to help somebody instead of tear people down, he was, there was a storyline with this shipping company that this older man had 
that he was, he was trying to buy this company off of him. And he was going to ship it off and make all the money. But in the last scene, he's in the business room with all these guys and he changes his mind. Just his heart's been changed. And he says, can, can, can I have a moment with the elder, elderly gentleman that was running that company? He said, can you guys leave? And they all left. And he said, he said, I don't know why, but how about we do this? Instead of I buy your company and sell it off, and why don't we work together and build ships? And that elderly gentleman stood up and he comes over to him. And he said, I don't know how to say this without being condescending. But he put his hand on his shoulder and he said, son, I'm proud of you. And see, that's what Richard Gere was longing to hear the whole time. Son, I'm proud of you. And that's what God is wanting to say to you young men. Stop trying to rape this world. Stop trying to get all that you can out of it for your own self. And begin to have a heart for other people. And to love somebody else enough to help them along. And then you'll, you'll feel the hand of God on your shoulder saying, Son, I'm proud of you. That's what we're all longing for to hear. Daughter, I'm proud of you. That's the missing piece down here. That's why we're on drugs and alcohol and, and turn into our love in all the wrong places. Because we're longing to be fulfilled. And that's the only thing that will fulfill us is, son, you're doing good. Daughter, you're doing good. We find our worth in pleasing the Lord. I'm proud of you, son. So that's my spiel. If you stay on the potter's wheel, you'll have curb appeal. To close the deal when it's time for the big reveal. <clears throat> I always got to throw a rhyme in. You know, we didn't get that house in Marshall County, but I was in that neighborhood sometime later, several years later, and I thought, I wonder what that house looks like now. Did somebody buy it? And I drove over there. It had a new roof, a new paint job. They had mowed that yard. I think that somehow they had filled the lake up in the back with water, and it was a really, really nice place. And here I thought it was too far gone, or at least somebody did. <laughs> but it was made beautiful again. There's nothing too far gone in God's kingdom. Jesus sees potential in every one of us. Don't think you sit out there thinking I'm too far gone. Jesus loves you, and he loves the work he's doing in you. He loves the potential he sees in you. When he sees you, in fact, he don't see you broken and broke down and broke out like you are right now. He sees the way you're going to be when you get to heaven, when you're made like Jesus. He sees the potential in you. He loves you for, for you now, but he loves you and is excited about the you that you're going to be. You are God's house. And you, my friends, are a fixer-upper. And that's okay, because I am too. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. 
For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.